I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, an artist and psychoanalyst based in Sweden who works with people internationally, and this is episode 242 of Rendering Unconscious Podcast. My guest today is Amalia Rousseau, and she's here to talk about her new class, Alchemy of the Word. Amalia Rousseau is a writer and astrologer. Her poetry and writings on film and visual art have appeared in many venues. She's the author of several books of poetry, most recently Confetti. She regularly teaches classes on poetry, cinema, and the occult. You can find her at Instagram at amalia.rousseau and at her main website, amaliarousseau.com. That's E-M-M-A-L-E-A-R-U-S-S-O. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. Visit Rendering Unconscious main website, renderingunconscious.org, for links and more information. You can also find a video of this discussion at YouTube. Just search for Trapar Film at YouTube. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T. Rendering Unconscious is also a book, Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. Visit our publisher's website, trapart.net, for that. You can support the podcast and all of my other creative endeavors at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl. We do post exclusive content at our Patreon every week. Every Monday, we write about our creative and magical practices. Thank you so much to everyone at our Patreon. Your support is hugely appreciated. You can always follow me on social media at Rawson underscore. That's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore at Twitter and Instagram and Dr. Vanessa Sinclair 23 at TikTok. I mean, poetry comes to mind first. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm, what uh, What's on your mind? Or is that like, should I not ask you? I love poetry. And I actually saw on your website when I was perusing it, you're working on a series of books about like poetry and cinema. Yeah, I'm sort of in the middle um, of a series, I guess, or I, I almost I think I, I perhaps said I, I'm in the middle of a series because it then motivates me to <laughs> keep doing it. But um, yeah, I j- the most recent um, book of poetry is called Confetti. And um, I guess all I guess all of my books sort of like blend um like ancient ways of thinking about the world and sickness and health and time uh, with contemporary art and and movies and philosophy. So I like to kind of see how placing, say, like a horror movie in conversation with like a 13th century mystic might illuminate them both in different ways and or explode them. Uh, So there's a lot of that going on in, in the books I've been recently working on anyway. I love that. And I see why Mary had to introduce us. Shout out to Mary Wilde. Yes, we're both <laughs> very into Mary Wilde. What came to mind was, I don't know if you've read uh, Jim Morrison's first book of poetry, The Lords, but he was, you know, he's a film student. And when he writes, he writes a lot about cinema and like from like a cinematic perspective and about the kind of like dirty underground cinema scene, but like it's all poetry, but he just like paints these beautiful like little scenes uh, that are very cinematic and are sometimes overtly about cinema. So that came to mind when I read that you wrote wrote that way. Oh, oh amazing. I love that Jim Morrison came to mind, The Lizard King. I honestly have not read that book, but I'm kind of obsessed with the movie The Doors. Very nice. I feel like a lot of people hate, but I think it's amazing. I think Val Kilmer did like an excellent job at being Jim Morrison. 
Yeah, I remember loving it. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I did just buy it recently on DVD because my husband has a publishing company and he's publishing a book that someone wrote about Jim Morrison. Anna Leorni wrote about Jim Morrison and she wrote like about his like astrology and his natal chart and things like that. And it's so interesting. It's like, I love this book and it's going to be coming out soon. But like, it got me on a whole Jim Morrison kick again, where I like ordered his poetry and like <laughs> ordered these okay. DVDs and I've been kind of <laughs> binging it. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, I always kind of felt like if I had been alive during that time, the doors would have been like my band, like the band I would have gone to see a lot definitely people always say you're either like the doors the rolling stones and the beatles i would definitely be the doors yeah (laughs) but i'm glad this is where this is going yeah amazing i um i actually recently not so long ago wrote a substack essay kind of about Jim Morrison and the Doors. He like comes to me. He keeps coming to me. So maybe I should just like cave and read his books. I don't know. Yeah, you re- get the poetry. I do. I like to do cut up poetry, and I've been integrating because I bought like first a little paperback of his poetry, and I actually sent one to Mary because I was like, she will love this because it's like cinematic poetry. So I just sent it to her, um, and then I got like the big volume of like all his writings. So I've been cutting up like the little paperback and putting it into my cut ups, and it says the most amazing things. I love it. Oh, yeah, it's great I to work with. That. It's very cool. I've never, I've never really gotten into the cut ups, but it sounds sounds cool. Try it sometime. If you like to write shorter pieces or articles and things or like your sub stack, seriously, print them out and just cut them up and throw them all in a in a box or a bag or something, just like your own writing, and then pull it out at random and see how it comes together. It's so interesting, especially when you use your, your writing, because it's like your ideas, but like things are put together in a way you would never have put them together. And it just like sparks all these new ideas. It's so it's so fun. I love it. I'm kind of obsessed. <laughs> yeah I mean it, well it's interesting that I I mean I'm sure I've done it in different maybe I don't know maybe I have done it and I'm sort of block, blocking it because the book is called the, the most recent book of mine is called confetti and it's a very confetti thing to do so it's sort of a lot of the in that in that book of poetry a lot of the text gets recycled and thrown up and Fall, they, they fall to the bottom of the page and they sort of get rearranged in different ways. So it's kind of like that, but it's an amazing cut up. Yeah. So there's, there's that. I love that. And if you like any specific artist or writer and they're like dead and you want like more writing by them, you can like cut up just like one person's writing and mix it up that way. And then you can like, it's still like their words and their like phrases. I don't cut out individual words some people do I used to but I cut out like lines I'll cut out like lines of poetry and then shuffle it together and then it kind of sounds like them but they're saying something different it's really fun sort of uncanny it's very uncanny cut-ups are always super uncanny and you're always like how did it say that right at this moment in my life you know yeah (laughs) it's very cool and cutting up magical people like that's why I threw Jim Morrison in there it's like uh I've Burroughs and Geisen, who I like learned about the cut up technique from, they would cut up anything like newspapers or things like that. And I did that too for a while. I started cutting up only like artists and writers I liked or knew. And then I started throwing in more random things from magazines. Like I cut out for collages, like images from Playboy or something. And then I cut up the articles and throw them in. And it can be cool also. But I found when you just like use people you're really specifically into and rather than like random things from the newspaper, it comes out that much more uncanny and potent. Yeah, I would imagine. What's your favorite? What's your favorite Doors song? I have to ask. (sighs) Well, the first one that came to mind would be the Crystal Ship. That's the first one that came to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> the lyrics are like spinning in my head right now. Maybe it's a really good song. Them to you. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Haunting. Haunting. Yeah, but they have, I also have, they have it on Amazon Prime, at least here. Prime here is a little different. Or all the channels are a little different. But um, they have like a whole concert of the Doors at the Hollywood Bowl in I think maybe 68 or something. And uh, that concert's amazing. And it's filmed so well. It was like filmed professionally. And like, 
he's just so fucking hot. It's ridiculous. <laughs> right, right. It's quite hot. Basically. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, yeah, a very, very hot. Yeah, crystal ship. Yeah, my mom was actually, she was into the doors back in the day. And she was actually, I'm from Miami. She was actually at the Miami concert where he like supposedly pulled it out and got arrested and all of that. She was at that oh, show. Really? Yeah. What did she say about it? He said he definitely did. <laughs> She's like, no doubt. <laughs> and everyone went insane, apparently. So. Yeah, that's the that's the one. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's a cool connection. Yeah, really cool. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in Coconut Grove, and it's like there's a marina there where they dock the boats, and apparently they had like an auditorium at that marina, and that's where that show was, Dinner Key Marina. Whoa. Yeah, I've just reignited my Doors fandom. I used to be really into them in high school, and then, of course, I have them like in mixes and things here and there. But I'm just recently really back into them. Yeah, same here. I, I had like a Jim Morrison poster. It's just so funny. I love that. I like the free association. Just yeah. <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> um, I had a Jim Morrison poster in my high school bedroom, like middle school, high school bedroom. I had a Doors poster from the movie, actually. Shit. Yeah, and I had the one that the that movie was poster true. was taken from, the Amer- American Prayer, where he has his arms That's out. That's the one I had. Yes, that the Amer- yeah, and yeah, and then same same here. Like I kind of they were always sort of there, but not at the front. And then I I want to say like a couple some sometime like beginning of COVID madness. I rewatched the Doors movie and then I started to just like get I watched the documentaries and I started to listen to all the albums again and went like full full on. Um yeah, I recently went to a record fair and I bought all the albums I could find, including these like live and bootleg things. So I'm right there with you. (laughs) (laughs) The Lizard King. He's got us in his grasp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you have to get the lords i will send it to you if you send me your address because you must have it really okay i'll send him okay cool thanks yeah <laughs> you need it um, okay. <laughs> now we do have you on for a specific reason which we should talk about let's talk yeah. about your class oh yeah I, I have a well yeah it's sort of um let me think how to like get into this i'm like trying to move from Jim Morrison to my class. Um, so I teach, I mean, I kind of teach quite a bit. Um, and I started maybe like four or five years ago teaching sort of independently, kind of like rogue um, art art classes and, and um, philosophy classes and things. And often I sort of use um, the language of alchemy and astrology to talk about visual art and philosophy and literature in various ways. So kind of like syncretic stuff and a lot of visuals and whatnot. So this most, this like new project is called Alchemy of the Word. And um, actually it's not unrelated to Jim Morrison because I stole the title Alchemy of the Word from an Arthur Rimbaud poem who, and I'm pretty sure our friend Jim was quite into Rambo, yeah? Definitely. Okay, so he's he's still here. Mm-hmm. Um, so the alchemy of the word <laughs> is sort of, I guess, a culmination of like a few years of research on my end. I guess I would call it like half, sort of like half art project, half series of lectures. Um, it's like takes the form of video slide recordings um, on the seven original planets and their corresponding alchemical processes and metals. So it kind of goes deep into um, these correspondences between the planets up above and the metals here on Earth. And then I kind of, I sort of use different poets and films and pieces of art to make associations because that's the thing about alchemy and astrology they're they only really come alive they're they're these languages of correspondences so they only come alive in my opinion when you're kind of 
relating them to different things and seeing how the different planets flicker in the world in, in front of you or, you know, how um, how a metal might relate to a Jim Morrison song in some in some resonant way, you know. So I think uh, there's there are a lot of there's a sort of like constellation of people who I'm pulling on in these uh, recordings. So I don't I'm like very hesitant of recordings and, and the recording world. I'm sort of a, I'm a bit like of a paranoiac, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word, but I get very like, I, I get a little bit of antsy about being recorded and recording myself. So some of my, a lot of my classes are not recorded, but, you know, you have to be there sort of in the moment, but these, I sort of decided would only be recordings that people get and can sort of go at their own pace and work with them because the material is super dense and kind of the idea is to bring um, an art project or a piece of writing or whatever you're really any project through various stages um, of alchemy and you know it can be linear but it doesn't have to be so that's kind of the idea it's sort of like alchemy as related to the creative process and some other trippy trippy things it sounds amazing so mm -hmm. people be focused on working with something they're working on while they're like working through the class. Yeah. Although it's sort of, you know, optional, like one could just kind of go through the recordings and learn about alchemy and learn and like kind of take the trip through these different manuscripts. Like I kind of, I go through at different parts in the recordings, um, these like Renaissance or medieval, um, alchemy texts which are wild I mean alchemy the imagination is just like vast and psychedelic and you know it's like a world of really wild creatures and colors and uh hearts and like weird uh fluids I mean it's just to me it's it, it's just very magical and like kind of it's the perfect kind of arena to bring something you're working on because it tends to like open different portals. Um, so throughout the recordings, I kind of switch on and off between um, like going into this research and talking about the different images and texts and then like get providing prompts and having like little quiet spaces for doing them. Very cool. That sounds something I like something I would love to do. Step is totally up my alley. Again, thank you, Mary Wild. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly what she said when I told her about it. She's like, this is really up Vanessa's alley. Like <laughs> I love that impersonation of Mary. That was spot on. Yeah, that was like not. <laughs> so, so how did you get into all of this in the first place? Oh my gosh, how did I get into all of this in the first place? Um, well, honestly, through poetry, probably, because I'm so, I sort of have been a writer since I can remember. And um, I started, actually, for a book, I, I started doing some re research, like whatever poetic research is, but um, like maybe a decade ago for a book I, I was working on called Wave Archive. And this book deals with um, like kind of ancient um, health treatments, like bloodletting and things like that. And like the humors, you know, like back when melancholy was associated with the planet Saturn and when astrology and astronomy were one thing. So I sort of went to these older texts and um, that kind of led me down this spiralic rabbit hole towards alchemy and astrology. And, um, and then I think from there, I just never left maybe. So I've, I've found it to be I mean, I, I write poetry, but I also like write essays and write about movies and stuff. And I tend to kind of work with a lot of different genres. So for me, astrology and alchemy and these, these like older languages, or I guess whatever you want to call them, um, you know, see, it seems to make a lot of sense with 
cinema and poetry I mean they're one way to think about astrology is like reading moving images you know reading planets as moving images so to me it kind of opens up um like a vaster web of knowledge and images I love that idea reading astrology as moving images (laughs) yeah I mean it's kind of what it is it's like really just a language of light and the the sun rising would be like almost the originary event or something and then it kind of goes from there very cool what's your sign (laughs) (laughs) with what rising and what moon Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, sorry uh virgo sun aries rising taurus moon very nice what do you think (laughs) (laughs) the Taurus and the Virgo are good and stable yeah earthy earthy with like a little fire at the fire (laughs) what about you what what are your three I'm Cancer Sun Leo Rising and Capricorn Moon so okay thank the universe for the Capricorn Moon to keep me a little stable too otherwise I'd be (laughs) (laughs) even more out there This way, I can funnel my out thereness in into like a structure, the container of the podcast. Yeah, exactly. And my husband is a Capricorn, and he's like very like slow and steady, so that's a good balance for me too. He's a Capricorn Sun. Yeah, he's Capricorn Sun with Virgo rising, so that's like (laughs) talk about intense with that like detail. Precise, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love the detail. Um, I, I'm i pretty sure that the, all, the um, astrological research that Carly Jung did had to do with, like, exactly your matchup. Like, he found that couples who stayed together for, I don't know, X amount of years or longer, it was like the sun sign was the same as the moon sign. Oh, interesting. And we're also Capricorn and Cancer are, like, opposites on the wheel. So a lot of things like overlap in an opposite way, which is which yeah. is always interesting. Fortunately, he has a Sagittarius moon, so that also gives him like a little bit of sense of adventure. Otherwise, I don't <laughs> think he would leave the house. <laughs> yeah, the opposite sign's cool because a, a way of looking at that is like, like you like opposite signs see each other. They have like a a good line of sight to each other. So there's like an awareness of things that maybe you're not even aware of in yourself sometimes that, that the other side. Absolutely. Can yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, no, it's a good match. I was just telling you, we just had our seven year anniversary and uh, over the weekend and I was remembering like the first time we hooked up and then he had, we were in London and we had to go. We, we did this conference together on psychoanalysis, art and the occult. And and uh, we we were like friends when we decided to put the conference together. Actually, it was my idea, and then I invited him to do it with me because he's a good occultist. Um, and then we were like friends organizing it, and then we ended up hooking up at the conference, which was perfect. And then yeah, when he had to leave, go to, go back to Sweden, I was so sad. I like didn't want to let him go, and then my rational brain was like. Like, why? Like, who is this guy? Like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, hello. Like, I was living in New York and going to, like, queer clubs and having, like, a ball. And, you know, it was, like, it's just, like, some guy. But I was, like, deep sadness in my body having to, like, let him go home. And that was strange for me. I was, like, what's going on here? (laughs) And now I live in Sweden. Yeah. (laughs) How long have you lived in Sweden? Officially, uh, I got my residency end of 2018. But I left New York. I've been coming since end of 2016, back and forth. So yeah. it's been a minute. Okay, cool. It's been a minute. Yeah. I'm a citizen now. And I have dual citizenship. Nice. That's good. That's a good move. It's kind of dreamy. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to complain about that. 
it was stressful until that point. But now that I have it, I'm like, all right, now I'm a citizen and they can't kick me out. I'm good. I'm solid. Yeah. Love it. And then, of course, you have EU citizenship. So I could live anywhere in the EU now, which is also pretty cool. Oh. Mm, it's like living in a different state. You know, it's like they, you can live wherever you want if you have EU citizenship. So that's that's pretty cool. I like yeah, that very idea. Cool. Very cool. Totally. What about dreams? What are your dreams like? Oh my god. Um, I was just talking to somebody about this. Uh, I have a lot of animal dreams. Interesting. And a lot of times, it's funny. I sort of hate talking about my dreams, but um, I'll I'll reveal. Sometimes I have dreams where the animal, the most memorable animal dreams, are the ones where, um one animal like turns into another animal Mm -hmm. or there's like a strange hybrid combination like many a few animals in one um and that kind of thing often makes its way sometimes will make its way into my work like sometimes sometimes I feel like I don't give a shit about dreams but they're like amazing and I give all the shits about them when they're like transmuted into art or poetry yeah it's wonderful and the creatures sound kind of like like you I read that you like Leonora Carrington and integrate her kind of thing like sounds like kind of Leonora Carrington Max Ernst like hybrid creatures they would create things like that yeah super surreal that's true I hadn't thought about that yes Leonora Carrington does make an appearance in the alchemy project because I mean her work is mad alchemical (laughs) like a lot of vessels and strange things being cooked and fire like attached to people and her and also Remedios Varro I think of as a really alchemical painter and yeah Max Ernst I don't know if you've seen them but Folger Press came out with the Leonard Carrington tarot Uh, I saw they look beautiful they're pretty nice do you have it do you have them I do should I go get them (laughs) <laughs> yeah I'll go get I them I'll be right back <laughs> <laughs> okay look they come in a beautiful blue box oh pretty so nice it's just the major arcana so nice so nice oh beautiful yeah Damn. they're so beautiful what? And they're amazingly printed and they're this great size. Yeah, they're really them. nice. They're really cool. I like that size. Yeah, they're really awesome. Look hard and see what we get. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah, go for it. And then, like, the backs are silver, which is also pretty cool. Cool. And then Robert Ansel, who's the he spoke at our conference and actually Carl and I got married from that conference. And then Robert Ansel, who owns Folger Press, he spoke and had a table at the conference in London and he met his wife at the conference too. She was someone who attended. Oh, what's going on at that and conference? She just posted on Aisha, shout out Aisha, Shehu Ansel. She just posted on Instagram or whatever that it was their anniversary. And I was like, it's our anniversary too. Because <laughs> we all got together. Conference. the same time at the same event let's see what we have the devil <laughs> oh that's a really cool looking devil wait can i see the back one more time silver so nice. yeah they're really well done and she creates these perfumes which i could show you her instagram she has a maison shihu uh, instagram where she creates these amazing perfumes like oils and she like put like a card of like the oil in the cards so that they smell good too. The box smells good, like her perfume. Uh, like a sensory. They're a great little team. The devil's a great one. The devil's one of my favorites. The devil's my um, favorite. So I love that we pulled it. it. Oh, it's your literal, it's your favorite. And I just finished actually this morning, I just finished the silver portion of the um of the alchemy project and so i've been thinking about silver a lot um it's the mother of gold 
and it's Ooh. harder than gold. And oh. so it's more sort of durable. And uh, so it's interesting, like there are all these little clues and, and residues and evidences in the manuscripts. Like, you know, you're in the presence of silver or the moon when you see very like sort of various containers or vessels um because silver has this capacity to like hold and harden um and then like gold gets birthed I love the idea of like silver being the mother of gold and the moon being the mother of the sun it's very interesting so that's I what the that silver, too. silver back made me think of very cool I love that I'm definitely a moon person I was born on a full moon and I'm cancer so moon's my planet Moon's your planet. And wait, what's your rising again? Leo. So sun. Ah, right. But so your your chart is like ruled by the sun. Like the sun is steering the ship of your chart and then mm. the moon's powering it. That's interesting. Yeah. So I'm a moon inside. <laughs> I'm a moon. It might seem like a sun, but I'm a your moon Your heart inside. is a moon. Your <laughs> yeah. And like the devil, like in like sort of, Christianity, the devil and God are sort of like opposed, but in these like sort of pre-Christian modes of thought, like we could see Mercury or Mercurius as the alchemists called him uh, as both because he's like this trickster who has these like devilish like qualities and capacity to fuck you up. And then also he is sort of the center of the whole alchemical and astrological situation in in a way very cool and that makes more sense it's like before the binary get rid of the split like it's all really all kind of one yeah yeah totally I mean I love these languages because they sort of teach that like it, it is all about like opposition or contraries like sun and moon Venus Mars but like the idea is like Mercury separates them out so as to bring them back together again changed so there are all these language different kinds of languages and different modes and images for really just like separation and marriage and like how entities and energies um get named and come apart and split and then come back together again change like over and over again very kind of contrary to I think a lot of our thinking now yeah I love it I love anything that's not Christian thinking I think it's got uh, too much imbued in our culture and there's like many other ways of being that are not that so anyway I can get into those other ways of being and away from that I'm happy to do so and it seems like this project and what you're the way you're describing is very much like of our times as well because we seem to go be going through this kind of alchemical period of transformation you think wait what do you mean I hope so that, oh, that would be the good result. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> the positive guess, outcome. It's either that yeah. or total civil, civilization collapse <laughs> and we're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully we transform and survive, at least some of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, the transformation thing. Right. I mean, it's interesting. I guess transformation is at the heart of alchemy. but And it's, it's, it's wild because when, as I was like kind of in this, Space, and I guess I still kind of am of of like going into these manuscripts and looking at the images and the texts. There, a lot of the alchemists were like sort of fusing their alchemical imagery with Christian imagery, especially in the Renaissance. So, like, you get like all of a sudden it's like Christ <laughs> is like what's what's born at the end or whatever. But it's interesting because, um. Yeah, I mean, it's alchemy and astrology has like it's like a pharmacon in a sense. Like it, it both sort of can I can like uphold Christianity or it can dismantle it. It sort of does. It can do both depending on like who is practicing it. Um, so it, yeah, there's a curious relationship to it because there was a time when astrology was like not condemned by the church, and I've been like on my Substack every every week I do a different like canto in Dante's divine comedy which is obviously like very Christian but he was like very into the fact that he was a Gemini and like really like sort of 
he's kind of ambivalent about astrology. He was sort of very into it and um, reading the stars all the time, obviously, but then sort of condemns divination and and fate and and augurs as well. So there's a, there's a something going on there. Yeah, so really it's a tool and people can use it in different ways, I guess, depending on their worldview. Yeah, like all, like techno- like all technology, I guess. That makes sense. And then also makes sense how you bridge it with current technologies and forms of art and cinema and things like that. Yeah, I think, you. Can, I mean, to me, that's what, where it, where it, like the it gets its judge, you know, kind of have to keep like re-enlivening it or just. Not just reading dusty old manuscripts. Where do you find these things? Uh, on the inter- on the internet. Just got to know the right, the kind of right. There are like a different um, ancient text websites and stuff, but also, I mean, yeah, I, I had to do quite a bit of digging around like in, in the, um, I mean, I guess really part of it's like I'm, I did this out of a weird devotion because I feel like learning about alchemy and astrology and like how they work together totally fucking changed, changed my life. And so I'm sort of trying to add something and make it a little easier for people. So there's like a huge resources list as part of it and stuff. So I, I spend a lot of time like Virgoing the fuck out of a lot of the alchemical corners of the internet. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's really, it's sort of a fascinating tool for reading the world really. Um, because like we could, we can be like, yeah, like she's a Sagittarius or she's a Virgo or whatever, but really it's sort of a, it's, it's like, I don't know. It's, it kind of, it opens it opens doors in ways that other things um, I've found have not, if that makes sense. It does make sense. That's how I feel about cut-ups. That's why I'm a cut-up proselytizer. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes. I read about cut-ups forever, and I liked all these artists. I realized at one point that all the artists I like all did cut-ups in different ways. And then I was, like, watching YouTube videos of, like, William Burroughs giving talks and stuff, and he's like you should go and do this. Anyone can do this. It's really easy. You don't even have to write yourself. Just grab a newspaper or a magazine and cut it up and see what it says. It's amazing. And then it like hit me. He's like, he's saying that we should do this <laughs> and not just watch him and go, oh, he's cool. Look at what he does. That's really interesting. He makes hey, a lot of books. Like, this was Burroughs that said that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, interesting. that's so funny. But it, yeah, it, I'm, I can't imitate his voice, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should go do this. <laughs> and it just like hit me finally. He's like, oh, he's telling people that they should go and do this. <laughs> I was like, maybe I should do this. And I had written a paper about these artists who also use the cut of method, uh, Genesis and Lady J. Briar Peorage, and I had it with me. And so I just decided, okay, I'm going to do this and see what happens. And it changed my my entire life changed, so... Damn. Yeah. How did it was you like live? literally like that year? Well, I moved into my own apartment in 2015. And it was like first time I had like my own apartment by myself in New York City, like ha, have made it and arrived. And that's how I decided to like consecrate the apartment when I went when it was empty. I like brought a candle and I did these cut ups. And I was like, wonder what would happen if you consecrate a space with cut ups. <laughs> That was the first cut-up I did. And then, like, I just got obsessed with it and started making these cut-ups. And then I realized my friend Caitlin Foisey, who I made cut-ups with for a period, like, in this third mind way that Burroughs and Geisen worked, where they worked together really closely. I worked with her. And then she talked about... I was still thinking kind of more... I mean, like, I liked magic and astrology and stuff, but I was still kind of thinking of everything as, like, psychology, like... I'm a psychologist. So I was like, these are all tools that people use like in their mind. But Caitlin is very much like a witch witch. And she like, you know, talks to different entities and gods and things. And like those, they are not just in her mind. And so Caitlin was like, 
have you noticed that when you cut up people's writing, like they come into your life in some way? And I was like, huh? And she's like, it like manifests things. So like, if you want to bring someone into your life, you like can cut up their writing. And then I realized that this conference that I made with Carl, like every single person that was in the conference that was alive was coming to the conference either as a speaker or an artist or a guest. <laughs> and they were all in my cut up box. And then like all the people who were dead were not there, but they were like, we had an art gallery show at the same time. They were like all artists there. And it was like, okay, then my psychology brain is like, well, those are the things you're interested in. So, you know, of course you cut up the same people that you invited, but it's like, that doesn't mean they all had to come. Like none of these people knew who I was. I'm just like this random girl, like some like Val Denim, I contacted on Facebook. I'm like, hi, I want to come to my thing you know what I mean so it was kind of like I was like oh so like I put all these people together in this box and now like when we were in the gallery and like talking to everyone I'm like now all the people that like talk to each other in this box of words that I have are like actually here and like walking around in this physical space and that just kind of blew my mind and like changed my whole idea of like what you can do and like magic and how it works and yeah, now I've just been on that trajectory. And then I met my husband and yeah, now I live in Sweden. And this now all I do is cut-ups instead of like psychology. I mean, I still, I'm still an analyst, but it's not like, before all of this, I was kind of like a normal analyst <laughs> with like a private practice. And I was very like blank slate and, you know, I write about these artists that I like, but like that doesn't really say much about me. And now I'm just like, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, sweet. I love it. Um, yeah, that's interesting because I'm in mean, like alchemy, alchemy head, but that or astrology head or they're kind of the, they're sister sciences, but uh, that cut up that it's like this really interesting melding. It's like both Mars and Venus are present in the cut up because you're like Mars's nature is to sever and cut and Venus is, is to bring together and and merge and congeal. And so it's this like way that Mars and Venus are like being lovers and ex-lovers together and like in the arena of words. That makes sense. And Mars and Venus for me are right next to each other conjoined in my 10th house of Taurus. In your, in your career house. Oh, so Mars and Venus are like holding hands, like in bed together in Venus's house earth house yeah sick yeah see it makes more sense it keeps making more and more sense as they go along my <laughs> Venus is in the underworld in Scorpio Scorpio very nice yeah and so you're bringing forward all these unconscious processes apparently <laughs> Yeah, that was like the the beauty of Carl Jung, who was another person I never like intended to study, but he just kept coming to me because you can't like, you know, fuck with alchemy without running into him over and over again, because he um, sort of recognized that the alchemists were at work upon their unconscious um, and did a lot of amazing alchemical writing himself and sort of rose a lot of these people from from one place to another but Carl uh, Young I feel uh, like because you also study like like contemporary like philosophy like academic style like yeah you know, like regular teach, stuff teach that too <laughs> yeah. but I really I really am upset at how like poo-pooed Young is in oh, like yeah. academia hates him in that world like, everybody hates him and basically writes him off as like going psychotic and yeah. like I even, you know, my whole trajectory, like I was like being a straight and narrow psychologist for a while. And like, like I said, everything's psychological. You have trajectory. And, yeah, exactly. I tried to do what Young did. Totally. And even like in the past couple of years when someone asked me like, 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 oh, do you integrate Young at all in your like work? I'm like, no, no, no. Freud and Lacan. Freud and Lacan. And then I'm like, obviously I integrate Young. Hello. Yeah. Like I love synchronicity, et cetera. So yeah. now I'm kind of seeing myself more as like, bridging like Freud series Jung series and Lacan series like using all of them because they're all great in their own way and why can't we do that why do we have to like pick like you know well Lacan said this so that means Jung was wrong about blah 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 whatever it's like 
people different people are different and different things work for them so why does one have to be wrong and the other have to be correct I hate all these little camps yeah that's a really good point about academia and it's problem with you <laughs> yeah because you run into him in like the occult world but he's been kind of yeah you're right he's been yeah, and in pop culture more generally, I think more people in like mainstream culture are into Jung than are into Freud or Lacan, for example. You know? Lacan is like, I mean, in my view, anyway, like, <laughs> pretty inaccessible. I'm not ever going to like kick back with the fucking Lacan <laughs> seminar. Like, it's just insufferable. I'm sorry, but I just can't do it. Um, I So I to me, Jung's writing feels more accessible and alive. And I think... I think because we're, I don't think we're sort of in, or academia anyway, I don't, I don't think it's quite into the idea of like a collective unconscious, right? That's the problem with that. Yeah, but I think that's really short-sighted because like, you know, any indigenous culture, free or cultures, other cultures, uh, like clearly we're like some sort of collective humanity. Like it seems kind of absurd to think otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, I like, I mean, I think the, right. And and to me, like having come to Young after I came to like ancient astrology and alchemy, it was like, oh, of course, you know, he's making really, he's saying things that these people have been saying for centuries, but in a different way. And it's totally brilliant. It makes sense to me. Um, but did you, did you see that movie now? I'm having a free association moment. Did you see Wait. the, um, what the fuck is it called? A Dangerous Method? Yes. Thoughts? <laughs> it's Cronenberg, who I love. I think Kira Knightley kind of ruined it for me because her performance <laughs> is like, I don't know what she was doing with her jaw, but... Um, but overall, the fact that Cronenberg made that story is like, yeah beyond candy for me I love it I love it too my I love how he it's almost like Freud and Young writing bitchy letters to each other (laughs) so it's totally great (laughs) it's amazing yeah I like that movie too um yeah their correspondence is amazing they wrote to each other like almost daily for like seven years I love their correspondence yeah yeah, there's actually an interesting book that I just read called Young's Car- I think it's called Young's Studies in Astrology by Liz Green. She's like a Jungian analyst and astrologer, and she went like into his library and archive. Like I think his family is like famously very protective of his work, and they kind of invited her in in some way, as I understand it. And the book is really amazing and well researched. Oh, wow. There's some correspondences specifically about Jung's mystical inclinations you know and Freud being like kind of interested himself you know like like sort of like yes but we have to keep this we have to make this a science and we people already think we're batshit we can't we can't go there exactly no Freud was totally into it and he did like thought transference experiments Um, with his daughter with Anna Freud and Sandra Ferenzi like all the way till the end of his life like he was he was totally into it but yeah he was trying to make it science so that's why here we don't pretend that we think otherwise <laughs> we're just putting everything out there because people need to stop with this posturing because it's bullshit <laughs> yeah I know I, I, I mean I'm I know look I know Lacan or sorry Lacan or however you say it is like you know great in his own way but for some reason I just I go, I go like catatonic. When it's I, the whole scene uh, around it. I can't it read it anymore scene. right it now either. Yeah, it might, it might be the whole. You're right. It's the whole scene. It's because people just automatic like. I think he's great and really important to psychoanalysis because he ended up breaking away and starting his own thing. However, many people have done that, first of all, like pretty much, I mean, like in New York, there's like 50 different psychoanalytic institutes because they're all from somebody being in an institute and breaking away and starting a new one. And then someone break away from that one and starts a new one and just keeps going on and on. 
But anyone that can break out of the system is like good for them. But it also took him a really long time to do that. Like he did become, he was a medical doctor, he became a training analyst. And I had to like go all the way to them pushing him out. Like, you know, he wasn't a young man when that happened. So like he was pretty rigid in his like place there, you know, but he did ended up being like, you know, who gives these people the authority? Like they grant themselves the authority of saying like, we are the international psychoanalytic and we say you cannot teach this way. And it's like, at one, what point can you like start thinking for yourself? Like, you know, <laughs> like if you're an MD and then you're a training analyst and then you've been teaching for like 10 years, are you not allowed to have your own thoughts? Like, <laughs> like teach your own way and develop your own method? Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> right. And the fact that psychoanalysts have created that kind of system, like boggles my mind because, you know, isn't the whole point of psychoanalysis to figure out like how these systems have been like placed in your mind and like how you're being controlled by them so that you can get out of that and think for yourself and like move in the world like in your own way it's like we're supposed to be getting away from that kind of rigid thinking like why are the institutes set up in a way of training people to like stay in that kind of authoritarian system it makes zero sense to me and that's one way I really respect the Jungians because they've kind of always stayed out of that system Mm -hmm. you know they're not in academia they don't have these like insane training analysis things like they're like you know they're much more like trusting people to like okay you study and then you like are able to work you know (laughs) like you don't have to like be in training for like 10 years after your doctorate you know it's insane it's like completely insane yeah I didn't know that I didn't realize so so it's more training to be like a Freudian or it's like more years it depends on the school but no matter what like somebody has to give you a little stamp at the end saying like now you're a good analyst but it's like you know if you go through all of that like are you really thinking for yourself like at some point like you need to just start thinking for yourself instead of regurgitating what other people have said and that's the problem with like Lacanians even though a lot of my friends are Lacanians but the whole like scene is that like you're just regurgitating what this master said and you're not really thinking for yourself and sometimes when you ask people questions like they can't explain it to you in any other language besides the jargon of Lacan like oh object A and the big other blah 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 and you're like okay but what does that mean you know like like you're saying with the alchemists like how do you make it current and relevant like in relation to other things that are happening that people actually work with and understand they can't do that and they actually don't care to do that for the most part because they like being this little esoteric society of people that only know the jargon and can only talk to each other and to me that's like totally deadening it's like uh, wanting a position inside this kind of like you know, little hierarchy of like who can say the most jargonistic paper like <laughs> everyone else confused. Yeah, no, you know what I mean? That, it's it's like, like I understand what you're all saying, but I'm not interested in that at all. Like, yeah. please, you know, please speak to people, to more people out there. And that's why, like, I wrote a book uh, called Scansion and Psychoanalysis and Art, where I talk about all these different artists. Because after I got into the cut-ups myself, I was like, I should write a book about these kinds of artists and like how to use these methods. And it has a lot of Lacanian thought in it, but it has no jargon except for the title, which I, I didn't realize until like a normie friend of mine was like, I finally read your book and it's really good and accessible and well written, but I didn't read it for so long because I was like, what is this scansion word? <laughs> I was like, oh shit. I like purposely wrote a jargon-free book, but I put a jargon word in the title. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that's my ambiv- ambivalence about being accessible or something. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a poet, so accessibility is a weird is a weird idea for me too. But yeah, I for like I'm I'm like object petite who like I just sort of yeah I can't I really struggle with that. But then I agree. It's interesting, yeah, with the whole with the whole Jungian. Like I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it like that. That they, that they're sort of, they've sort of always been um, their own thing. They're doing their own thing. I think that's why. I mean, I'm not. I'm like not a Jungian, and I'm not a, an expert. Or, it, but I think just that whole, the whole world of academia and like what's accept, acceptable and what's not, and the vibe around the sort of stifling atmosphere. It's just why I've been. I've just always been rogue. I just can't. Can't do I'm it. rogue. Yeah, have to rogue. be rogue. And I even heard someone say recently, like, as an academic, like, oh, what they wrote was very, like, 
pop popular facing or popular popular facing I don't know something like that but like it was like facing towards like the general person and that that's some sort of like insult oh, God. yeah <laughs> it's like like okay <laughs> yeah I'm not sure I mean I I heard someone say I'm not sure who said this recently but something like like as we move forward like like the terms like left and right for politics aren't even going to be as relevant it's going to be more about um like who's speaking to people like the like pop the population versus like something like an elitist you know um enclosed regurgitative mode so because yeah. I think a lot of I mean, academia, like fancy, they fancy themselves, like mostly like left, like leftist, but I, I don't, but the attitude is not. It's not. And the practice is not. That's the thing. No. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, it's like you're supposed to be for the people, but 99.9% of people have no idea what you're talking about and don't even know any of these concepts or people that you're talking about. <laughs> actually yeah. it's like very esoteric <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I'm really interested like this is why I mean it's it's harder and harder I think to just like find little spaces or pockets to think because I think because it's actually it's quite hard to think for oneself maybe even more so now with, with the internet I don't know but that's what I try. I mean, it's like kind of what I attempt to do in, in the classes I teach, right? It's just like, I'm not going to tell you what I think. I'm going to present you with these things and we're going to talk about them. And like, hopefully you can figure out what you think, but we, there has to be a kind of space that's created where it's okay to like get things wrong or to like say something that's weird or whatever it is and not like be super enclosed and uptight, which is, I think what academia breeds, which is not good for free thinking or even learning how to think, which involves a lot of like back and forth and getting it wrong and saying fucked up shit, maybe, you know? Yeah. And discomfort. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's not comfortable. Exactly. That's the thing. But we're really, we're really all about like having whatever, whatever the current, what are the words? Like, I mean, what is a safe space when we're talking about thinking, you know, what, like, uh, you have to be able to think think through it no matter what it is yeah yeah I remember you mentioned I think before we were recording that you took the the class of repetition that I did at GCAS and I think I remember at some point telling someone that Lacan was not God <laughs> I was talking about something he's like well Lacan said da, 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 da. and I was like Lacan is not God <laughs> there are many people that think many different ways that don't even know what Lacan thinks <laughs> And we can teach that in a philosophy course. <laughs> yeah, right. That was my takeaway from that class. That's what I remember. <laughs> Telling someone that Lacan was not God. <laughs> um, repetition. Yeah. I will. I, it, I, in the, first set of recordings I did for this alchemy project uh I talk about lead and Saturn and like so there's a lot of like melancholia um talk and like Durer's famous engraving melancholia one and Julia Kristeva talks about in her in a book called Black Sun which I really like parts of she says that the speech of the sad or the melancholic tends to be repetitive and like so there are a lot of exercises or prompts in that in that recording that have to do with repeating but it's very interesting because a lot of the a lot of the um kind of hallmarks of the melancholic mode are also like poetic devices you know um refrain obviously repetition like echoes um a long elongated speech or or logic that kind of deliquesces into nonsense um so yeah there I mean so so to me like that's what's so much more liberating and imaginative about these astro alchemical modes is like it's like 
they're always happening, but then we have like kind of reg, not regular, but sort of, but less jargony and more like, it's like a re-enlivening of everyday speech because it's like, okay, oh, like you're repeating a lot. Maybe there's like something Saturnine going on and like, how does that relate to um, melancholy or the color black or whatever it is, you know? So there's like this web of associations that then becomes available as opposed to just like, I'm, re- I'm repeating a lot, period, end of sentence, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I re- pathologizing it. Like that yeah. all of these things have a place in some way. Yeah. I mean, do you know James Hillman? Yeah. So he's the one who kind of initially got me into Jung a little bit. And I'm like very obsessed with his um, alchemical writings. And he says he he's like, we're talking about alchemy to get us out of psychology and out of the, the language of pathology. Um, and he, sa- he says some, at some point, alchemy is a kind of history of madmen at work upon themselves, um, which I love. I love that idea. I mean, so it, the alchemists are in a sense like language mad, which is what we are as writers or cut up people or poets or whatever. So it's like this way of like starting from a place of bewilderment or chaos or silence or total um, confusion and like maybe making our way through some kind of clearing and then possibly coming back to confusion and again and again but like on the way finding new language really I love that that's great yeah I have a Hillman book cut up in my cut up now it went from being a box to now it's a trunk a big chest (laughs) Um, my cut up chest I cut up the dream in the underworld oh good one it's very good for cut ups he's so good Mm-hmm. I love his lecturing voice too. He's so he's like really what was the word? What was the derogatory term? Pop populist facing or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in a good way. Definitely. Definitely. Um, we have near the end of our time. Was there anything that you wanted to mention that we didn't get to? <sighs> um no, I mean, just, yeah, this alchemy thing uh, is the new, I guess it'll be released on the 13th, which is Saturday. So people can order it whenever uh, if you're if you're into that kind of thing. And then, I mean, I'm a, I'm a practicing astrologer. I work like mostly with artists, but really I work with whoever. So that too. Very nice. And everything's available on your website, which I will link to. Cool. Thank you. You're welcome. And send me your address and I will send you this book because you need it. That's so sweet. All right. I'm going to send my <laughs> address after this. Anything else? I don't think so. Thanks for having me. This is a blast. It's fun, right? It's fun to just see what happens. Um, That's why like, when when I go on other podcasts and they have all these questions prepared, I always feel like we're in a flow and then they like throw us off track with these like questions that they came up with like before we talked. So I just like to like either read people's stuff or look at their website and just see what happens. Yeah. And Jim Moore, I mean, I'm just grateful that like Jim is still like tornadoing through my brain. And also weirdly, I had a full circle moment just now with like the lizard King because alchemy is so much about like crowning what's low, like sort of crowning, um uh, what's apparently filth so there's a lot of like weird crowned lizards um in in that world oh my god see thank you for listening to rendering unconscious you've just heard a discussion with amalia rousseau For more, check out her new class, Alchemy of the Word, and visit her website, emaliarousseau.com. Coming up this Sunday, May 14th, we have our next Psychoanalysis Art in the Occult event, Carl Abrahamson presenting The People Eaters Are Having a Great Feast on the Uncanny in Cinema, Ingmar Bergman's Hour of the Wolf. Visit morbidanatomy.org slash events for that, and you can also visit psychartcult.org for the Psychoanalysis Art and the Occult series. I've just posted our events for the summer. 
for June, July, and August. And there's also a link there for our class on the cut-up method, which will be four weeks in September. See you there. Thank you, as always, to Carl Abrahamson for providing the intro and outro music for rendering Unconscious Podcast. And now the song, A Singular Poetic Vision, a collaboration I did with Pete Murphy from our album, Disciplined by Order, which you can find at Pete Murphy's Bandcamp page. Visit petemurphy.bandcamp.com. All of the music there is Name Your Price, so enjoy. You can also visit Swedish independent record label, Highbrow Lowlife, at highbrowlowlife.bandcamp.com. A singular poetic vision integral to life, to life. Inspiration, attitude, refine it, integrate it into your vision, free reign within the creative process. universes of your own. Creative impulse and intuitive decisions. <laughs>